Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you here. It was um, many years ago. It was, in fact, summer camp 1990, where a friend of mine from school uh, that I played rugby with invited me to go along, and without giving him much thought, I said yes. Uh, and then I got the kind of brief about what we needed to bring, and like, there's a Bible there. Why do we need to bring a Bible? Oh, no, am I going to be with the Christians? And uh, I remember the first a night of worship, which I thought was like completely crazy. What is going on? Everybody getting excited, clapping, uh, worshiping God, lifting their hands. I'd never been to a formal church service in my life, and I thought I'd entered the twilight zone. And uh, it was back in the day where there were no cell phones, so I couldn't phone my parents to get an emergency evacuation. I just had to sit it out. And summer camp in those days was seven days. So I was like, whoa, I'm, I'm locked in here. But... Um, God knew what he was doing because um, on that camp, I got to surrender my life to Jesus Christ and to receive his mercy and grace. And when I got back from camp, uh, my brother said to me, oh, like I've heard you become a Christian. This is probably going to be like a three-month thing. Um, and 30 years later, here we are. So God, God is good. If you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Jonah chapter 1 and... Uh, we are looking at the book of Jonah. Imbunisi got us off to a really fantastic start uh, last night. Let's just remind ourselves of the story quickly. God speaks to Jonah, and he wants to send him to the great city of Nineveh. And Jonah goes, great idea, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go in the exact opposite direction. And so he heads down uh, to Joppa. He finds a boat at the port. He pays his fare. He gets on board and they set sail uh, in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh to Tarshish. And then there's this great wind on board and everybody's freaking out and they're praying to their gods. But Jonah's gone down to the lower deck and he's sleeping and he's chilling out and he's in business class and he's not really worried about this at all. And then the captain of the ship gets hold of him and says to him, hey, dude, shouldn't you be praying? Shouldn't you be calling out to God? And he's like, yeah, whatever, and then they cast lots to discover who's responsible for the storm, and guess what, it is Jonah, and then they say to Jonah, who are you, Jonah, and he says, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens and the earth, who made the sea and the dry land, and when they heard that he worshiped the God of the sea, they freaked out, because they realized, whoa, this guy is out of sync with the God of the sea, and the sea is going crazy, and... Uh, we're then going to pick up action in verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Verse 12, Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. He does his baby. He owns up. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows to him. Verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. 
And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. Lord, we pray as we come to your word this morning. We pray that you be with us. We pray that you would help us. And all God's people said? I want to look at these few verses at the end of Jonah chapter 1 under three headings. The big fish, Jonah, and God. Let's begin with the big fish. Because I know what some of you are thinking. I can't believe it. This is ridiculous. This is why I don't believe in Christianity. This is why I didn't want to come on summer camp. I can't believe that they're telling us a story about somebody who was swallowed by a whale. It actually says a huge fish, but whatever. You know, somebody swallowed by a whale. That was, that's crazy. Do you guys actually believe that stuff? This, this, is, this is why I don't believe in Christianity. This is why this whole thing's a massive eye roll. I mean, what are you guys going to do during the breakout? You know, how to get to know the tooth fairy better and, <laughs> and, and, and how to impress Santa Claus. I mean, this is nonsense. This, you surely don't believe this. And I'm here this morning to tell you we do believe it. And I believe it for three reasons. Reason number one, it's in the Bible and the Bible is the Word of God. And because it's in the Bible, I believe it. Reason number one. Reason number two, Jesus believed that this actually happened. In Matthew 12, verses 39 to 41, Jesus says the following. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given them except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus believed that Jonah spent three days in the belly of a whale. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Man, I don't believe your book and I don't believe you're Jesus, so none of this makes any difference to me. I don't care what's in this book. This, this doesn't happen. This is absolutely ridiculous. And I don't care if your leader said it happened. I still don't believe that it's happened. You're going to need to give me more proof that something like this could actually happen. Well, well, let me give you some more proof. Because someone who used writes the following. He says, numerous cases have been reported of men who have survived the ordeal of being swallowed by a whale. The Princeton Review of October 1927 tells of two instances, uh, one that took place in 1758 and the other in 1771, in which a man was swallowed by a whale and vomited up shortly afterwards with only minor injuries. One of the most striking instances comes from Francis Fox, in 63 Years of Engineering, a best-selling classic, I'm sure you've read it, who reports of an incident uh, carefully investigated by two scientists. In 1891, a whaling ship, the Star of the East, was near the Falkland Islands. Uh, the lookout sighted a large sperm whale. Two boats were lowered. One of them was upset with the lash of the whale's tail so that its crew fell into the sea. One of them drowned. But James Barclay simply disappeared. After the whale was killed, the crew began the work of removing its bladder. Uh, bladder. Uh, the, sails, uh, the sailors were startled uh, by something in the stomach that gave sporadic signs of life. Inside, they found a missing sailor, doubled up and unconscious. Within three weeks, he recovered from the shock and resumed his duty. So if you hear this morning thinking, this is absolutely ridiculous, this could never happen. It has happened multiple times, at least three times. The last time verified by two scientists. But I know for some of you it's like, unless I know for certain, 
Unless I know for certain, and I just want to warn you as a pastor, please do not pray, Lord, unless you show me with 100% certainty that a whale could swallow a human. Please do not pray that. Please do not pray that on this camp. We are in Hermanus, the whale capital of Africa. And if you need to know with 100% certainty that a whale can swallow a human and they live to tell the story, uh, then brace yourself. So firstly, the big fish. Secondly, Jonah himself. Jonah is called to go to uh, the capital city of his arch enemy, the Assyrians in Nineveh, and he is told to bring a message of judgment. Now, this is a very difficult brief from God, is it not? This is like God waking you up next week on Thursday and telling you that you are to go to your main rival school's assembly on Friday morning, and as the headmaster begins to speak, you to rush up onto the stage and say, I've got a message, and my message is this, this school is going to be destroyed. And you need to do it in your uniform so that they know that this is the rival school telling the full assembly that the school is going down. You wouldn't live to tell the story, right? Well, that's what God's saying to Jonah. You men are going to Israel's major enemy. You men are going to the capital city and you are to declare judgment on that city for what they have been doing. And and like Jonah is no way Jose, and he goes in the exact opposite direction. Jonah runs from the call of God, and he runs in the opposite direction. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you running from God? Are you running from God? Has God called you to himself, but you're thinking, no ways, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to run in the opposite direction. Or has God called you to do something, and you think, nobody wants to do that. Are you mad, God? You can call somebody else to do that. Or are you following the very things that God has called you to? What is very interesting from Jonah chapter 1 is that it is possible to run away from God in a very respectful way. You see, sometimes we think, oh, yeah, 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 we, we know how people run away from God. We, we, we get that. Those are the, you know, sex, drug, and rock and roll people. They're the rebellious people. They, they, they just rage against everything. But if you look at Jonah 1, what we discover is that there are multiple ways to rebel against God. God calls Jonah to do something, but Jonah says, hey, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to do it in a very law-abiding uh, citizen way. Jonah takes an orderly way in order to get to Joppa. He stands in line, he waits until there's an opportunity for him to buy a ticket to get on the boat in the opposite direction. He pays the money for the ticket. Then he waits in line to board the boat. Then he gets on the boat. He's very respectful on the boat. There's nothing about him. He doesn't get drunk on the boat. He, he does everything in a very respectful way, but actually he's running away from God. And friends, sometimes we think we need to do something, you know, serious. It's like we're, uh, you know, we're on drugs or we're, we, um, we're doing terrible things to other people. And that shows that we're really rebellious to God. But Jonah shows us that it's possible to run away from God in a very respectful way. Jonah doesn't steal money in order to buy the ticket for the ship. Jonah doesn't push to the front of the queue like some of you at lunchtime. You know, no, no, no. Well, he waits his turn until he actually gets served. He buys the ticket. He doesn't headbutt the captain. He's just very respectful on board. And friends, some of you, the way that you're rebelling against God isn't by doing terrible things, but it's actually by doing brilliant things. You think, well, God's got this plan for my life, but I don't really like this plan. I'm going to do the super successful plan. See, we've heard an uh, 
a really a emotional story during our worship time of somebody who had a very difficult thing happen in their lives. And when a difficult thing is happening in people's lives, you can respond in one of two ways. Some people respond by getting really angry and bitter and rebellious. But other people think, flippin' heck, my life is out of control. My life is a mess. And so I need to control one aspect of my life. And the one area that I can control in my life is my school. And so I'm just going to be that A-plus student. I'm just going to work super hard. I'm going to get the grades and, 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 and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to get the acclaim of being a leader in the school and doing everything well. And friends, it's possible to run away from God in a very obvious and rebellious way, but it's possible to put a hand in God's face by just saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to do things my way and I'm going to achieve and I'm going to do well and I'm going to be a success. The second thing that we see here about Jonah in this passage is that Jonah knows, but Jonah doesn't live. Notice uh, in verse 8, when the captain asks him, who are you? And he answers, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So he knows who he is, but he doesn't live who he is. It's possible to know lots of stuff about Christianity. It's possible to be brought up in a Christian home and have parents who really love you and care you and know the stuff and know the answers, but not live the answers. Jonah knew the answers, but he wasn't living the answers. In fact, Jonah knew that it was his fault. Verse 10 tells us, he said, hey, man, I know that this mess is coming upon you because of my disobedience. He's even willing to accept the consequences of his mistake. He's saying, it's okay, chuck me overboard. If you throw me overboard, the moment I hit the Mediterranean, the, st the st uh, storm is going to calm down. It's, it's totally fine. But what he wasn't willing to do was to follow God. Friends, it is, Jonah chapter 1 is tragic. Jonah knows who he is in God. He knows what he's done wrong. He accepts the responsibility for his wrong actions. But what he will not do is follow God. He is digging his heels in. And he is saying, in no uncertain terms, stuff you, God. I don't care. They can throw me overboard. I can sink to the bottom of the Mediterranean Ocean, but I will not go to Nineveh. I'm not going to do it. I am not going to do it. And so Jonah gets thrown overboard, but as he's thrown overboard, he is thrown overboard as somebody who says, I will rather die than obey you, God. So firstly, the big fish. Secondly, Jonah Thirdly, God. What do we learn about God from Jonah chapter 1? What we discover about God is that God is a God of incredible grace. And he shows incredible grace to Jonah in two ways. One, God's disciplining grace. And secondly, God's miraculous intervening grace. Firstly, let's think about God's disciplining grace. What we discover is that God calls Jonah to do one thing, and he does the exact opposite. Now, at that point, God could say, you know what? I've got other prophets on the, uh, uh, on the program here. Jonah's gone rogue, so the word of the Lord came to Amos. And the word, and God said to Amos, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim its destruction against. And Amos believes God and, and steps in, if you like, to Jonah's destiny. But God isn't like that. God doesn't give up on us even in our rebellion. 
And when we look at this passage, we see the extraordinary lengths to which God goes to win Jonah back to himself. Firstly, God sends this great wind. He sends this severe, massive storm, which wasn't just a coincidence. It was God's way of wooing Jonah back to himself. Friends, when things start going wrong in your life because you're doing wrong things, that's not because God is punishing you, but it's because God loves you. The very worst thing that could happen to you is you thinking, you know what? I'm going to rebel against God. I'm just going to do whatever I want. I'm going to ignore God. Who cares about God? I'm going to disobey God. And God just going, cool, go for it, whatever. I'm going to work with somebody else. And nothing happens in your life. Friends, the very best thing that can happen when you decide, like, I'm going to rebel, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to go crazy, is for a storm to enter your life, to start shaking you up. Why is that a good thing? It's a good thing because then you know that God is after you. The Bible says that God disciplines those he loves. If, if God doesn't try and intervene in your life, if God doesn't try and stop you from sinning, it's an evidence that he's not actually interested anymore. Hebrews speaks about actually if, if, you, if, you, if you're not disciplined at all, actually you're potentially an illegitimate child. But here we see that God is intervening in his life. Some of you get really upset, you just, you, you, you're like get, getting really restless at home and you're on the internet and then you're just about to go onto the porn site and there's like load shedding and it's like, oh, well, why did that happen? Or your parents discover your secret stash of booze or weed and it's like, oh, why do I always get caught? Because God loves you, because he cares about you and because he doesn't want you to waste your life. God doesn't just send a storm, but he sends a group of people that are like really into supernatural stuff. So the storm comes, and then all of a sudden, everybody on the boat starts praying. Isn't that, like, crazy? Like, I've been on a plane before where there's, like, huge turbulence, but the, the people normally shout out, but they don't normally start praying. I mean, sometimes they do. But the whole boat here starts to cry out, and then the captain goes below deck, wakes up Jonah, and says, hey, dude, like, shouldn't you be crying out to your God? I mean, this would be like your headmaster calling you into the office and saying, hey, man, I'm just a bit concerned. How's your prayer life going? I think you should be praying a bit more. And it's like, really? You're not even a Christian. And you saying that I should be praying more? What's going on here? God's trying to intervene. For some of you, you're like uh, such an eye roll, like my mom. She's like praying all the time. It's like worship music in the car all the time. It's like, really? She's, you know, carrying on like, oh, why, why, why? God loves you, that's why. Or for some of you, you're at school and it's like, all the friends in my class are Christians. They're always trying to get me on camps like this. And why do I have to have so many Christians around me all the time? Because God loves you. Because God loves you. And then the freaky thing happens, right? They cast lots. Who's responsible for this? This isn't a Christian thing. They're not praying now. They're getting into casting lots. And like it falls on Jonah. What are the chances of that? Like 100%. If you're running away from God and the God of the universe says, hey, I really want you back, it's going to fall upon you. So what we discover here is that God is a God who intervenes in our lives. God is a God who will bring storms and people and places and circumstances together to draw us back to coming home, to becoming the people that he always intended us to be. 
Is stuff like this happening in your life? Do you see the fingerprints of God trying to draw you back to himself, trying to draw you back to the very things that he has called you to? But finally, we see in this passage, God's grace through a miraculous deliverance. Friends, let's think about this. Jonah is there and he's saying, look, this is my fault, whatever. Throw me overboard. And that wasn't the only option Jonah had, right? Jonah could have got down on his knees and just said, God, please forgive me. You called me to Nineveh, and I'm going in the exact opposite direction to Tarshish. Please forgive me. This terrible storm has come on because of my fault. And I just say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to put my trust in you. And if he had prayed that prayer, the storm would have stopped, right? But he didn't want to pray the prayer. He didn't want to say sorry. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He would rather die than obey God. And so they throw him overboard. And the moment that he hits the Mediterranean Ocean and begins to sink to the bottom, the storm is brought to complete calm. Now, for us living in the Western Cape, we know storms, right? The Cape of Storms. Could you imagine at the midst of the center of a storm, it going from crazy wild to completely calm? It would freak you out, wouldn't it? It freaked out the sailors because they realized this is the true and living God. And so they begin praying and calling out to God. But Jonah is sinking to the bottom of the Mediterranean Ocean because he would rather die than obey God. And then we get one of the most incredible verses in the whole Bible, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Isn't this incredible? God comes and miraculously and wonderfully rescues somebody, not who loves God, not who's following God, not who's wanting to do God's will, but somebody who's run, wanting to run as far as they possibly can from God. And it's to this person that God provides this huge fish in order to save and rescue him. If you hear today and you're feeling like you're a million miles from God, maybe you're not yet a Christian and, and you saw people responding last night, but you haven't responded and, and you don't intend to respond. Can I say that the Lord wants to rescue you? If you're here as a Christian and you're going through the motions, but you know in your heart, I'm doing my own thing in my own way, God wants to provide for you. And for some of you say, well, it's fine for Jonah. Like, yeah, I would believe in God if like God provided like a huge whale to swallow me. Like, obviously, that's like amazing and awesome and wow and personal. Then I would follow God. I just want to say to you that God has provided something more amazing than a whale for you. He has provided his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He hasn't provided a whale. He has provided Jesus. Jesus has come to die on the cross to pay the penalties for your sin. Some of you thinking, well, I don't know if I can follow God. How can I really trust that he's really good? Behold the cross. Behold what Christ has done on the cross. He has literally sacrificed his life in order to save and rescue you. He has given his life for you. He didn't just risk his life. He gave his life. As a sin offering, he took my sin and your sin upon himself. He received the punishment of the Father so that we can be accepted. Now, what we're going to discover when we get to chapter 2 is that this rescue act of God providing a whale, this rescue, this mercy of God leads Jonah to say sorry. Jonah didn't say sorry before he got thrown overboard. And God said, well, you did a very good sorry. 
therefore I'm going to provide a whale. No, Jonah was angry and rebellious and thrown overboard. God rescues and God's rescue act leads Jonah to say sorry. Friends, the way that you become a Christian is not by pulling up your socks and really getting your act together. Maybe you rocked up on camping then flipping heck, these guys are worshipping, they know their Bible, I don't know my Bible at all. I better get my act together and then God will accept me. That's not how it works. God comes and rescues us just as we are. And when we're rescued, then we get to be put together. Christianity is you're accepted, therefore obey. It's not obey, obey, obey. Then maybe you'll get accepted in the end if your obedience is really good. God is in the business of wanting to rescue people. More than that, God is in the business of wanting you to live the life for Jesus that he really wants you to live. Jonah was a believer running away from God. God had called him to do something, but he was doing the exact opposite. And for some of you this morning, God is wanting to call you home. For some of you, for the very first time. Others of you who are running in the wrong direction. You're here, you're lifting hands, you're feeling people, but you're not feeling God. God wants to call you home. Let's stand together.